Friday. Friday, yes. It's Friday for mm-hmm. Friday fields. Mm-hmm. Yes. Which is awesome. nice. How are you guys? This is a beautiful morning. It is a beautiful morning. It is. I'm looking out the window and it's gorgeous. It is indeed. I did not even give the weather forecast today. Oh. How about that? Maybe I'll do that right before I come to you. Okay. Which is which will be in approximately 35 seconds. No worries. 35 seconds. Stand by. Okay. Stand by to go live on the radio, which you're now very used to. Mm-hmm. Stand by. <laughs> All right, it is Blake and Aaron. Gorgeous morning this morning, and traffic is a bit light. All the schools are closed, so that's kind of nice. It's mm-hmm. our final work day of this week. Uh, scattered thunderstorms maybe this morning, just a slight chance, then becoming sunny during the afternoon hours. Uh, we're going to see the, the wind uh, drop just a bit out of the east-southeast, 10 to 15 miles per hour. Chance of rain 40% this morning. What? Uh, current temperature 80, though, with the real feel of 86 right now. Humidity is 80%, and uh, the wind out of the southeast right now at about eight miles per hour. All right, it's 721 here on KISS FM. Big news. I have some important news for you. Interesting news. It's Blake and Darren's Spilling the Tea with Sandy. K-Man's top news headlines of the day from CMR. Good morning, Sandy. Good morning, Blake and Aaron. Morning. How are you? So are you going to work on Friday and Monday, or are you just going to take four days off? I'm going to take the time off, just like everybody else. Nice. And you're going to go uh, pop around to the camping sites? Yes, that's exactly what I'm planning on doing. Now, you say that, but I I know that you're going to keep watching for any developing stories, (laughs) if there are any. (laughs) Well, I mean, you know. That, that still is that tough. is your job. Yeah. <laughs> yes. You know, I saw some uh, traffic cops out this morning. I radar, did and oh. I just want I don't say where. I'm not. Uh, okay. No, nah, don't say yeah, where. Yeah. But I they're, just want to give them a shout out for being out yes. and about. Yes. Apparently they listen to our show. Hopefully. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we are. Get we, those speeders. <laughs> we are yeah, advocates yeah. for, uh, for, yeah, stopping speeding on the roads. Yeah. Right. They awesome. had some people pulled over when I saw them. I did too. I was like, yeah, get them. Mm-hmm. Sorry. Anyway, what you got for us this morning? So we've got a deadly drug, fentanyl, being seized um, in the Cayman Islands. What? Um, no bueno. No. Yes, I know. Um, not good at all. So some 200 and uh, something tablets um, were seized and the CDC, 288 tablets, sorry, over the past uh, two and a half months. Wow. And so this is an increase. And of course, the um, folks over at CBC Border Control Director Charles Clifford has expressed his concern because he said this particular drug is extremely uh, dangerous with a 78 percent, um, sorry, a 28.5 percent increase in deaths in the U.S. Absolutely. Um, for, you know, from one year to the next. So it's as we probably have all heard it's been raging in the U.S., causing a lot of people um, to practically just instantly die. So this is nothing wow. to jerk around with, folks. So no, it's deadly. No, it's yeah. terrible. And it, you know, like the they'll, they'll is, put it off as something else. Drugs are not like when we were kids. No, I was just going to say that. 
They are... Which sounds really bad to say out loud, and I know people are going to take that the and, wrong situation, but it is. And listen, for, for, for those people, and we know that there are people out there that use them recreationally, um, they uh, they are cutting that stuff with fentanyl. That's the problem nowadays. right there. This is what, yeah. and you don't know it. You know, so yes. you could take you know something, having a good time one night, and then that's it. Yeah, Life's you over. think it's one thing, and it's not. Right. That's, yeah. That's and this scary. is what's more. Yeah. This is what's the. Yeah. I mean, listen, it's absolutely ridiculous, but it is. This is we see it with uh, celebrities. You see it with just a lot of everyday people, and it's really sad. I don't know why you want to kill your customers, but it seems like that is the case yeah. nowadays. So I don't think anyone really is thinking that far beyond. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. Anyway, but yeah. Stuff. So, so yes. Um, so be very, very careful folks. Um, it's best to stay away from any substance that you don't get from a legitimate source and other news, no more restrictions on the number of cruise ships that can visit the Cayman Islands at a given time. So this is a bit of uh, good news as the cruise industry continues to reopen. Phase one of uh, the reintroduction of cruise ships apparently has gone so well that they're moving on to phase two, which is going to take effect on Monday, April the 18th. Mm -hmm. So essentially, you know, before they'd have to go through the Department of Tourism to get uh, permission to come in. Now they can revert back to speaking directly to the Port Authority of the Cayman Islands. Um, some restrictions, obviously, the health protocols still remain in place. You've got to be vaccinated uh, to come in. You have to have a negative COVID test and um, the children take the vaccination status. Children under 12 will continue to assume the vaccination status of their parents. And the good news um, also is that um, Dr. Newton has said, uh, that's the interim chief medical officer, she has said that they've been watching the numbers very, very uh, carefully, and they've not linked any outbreaks or any infections to cruise visitors, and they've actually not seen any increase to speak of that they think is related to that at all. So they believe right. that the protocols are working. That's great. No cruise ships today, by the way. And and actually, when you look at the schedule, I don't really see any, uh, even the rest of the month, there's just uh, one or two here or there. Yeah. Now that, that may change now that phase two kicks in on mo Monday. Right. So, so they'll continue to come in, yes. And um, Cineco is going to be expanding um, to its health insurance coverage. And eventually, they're also wanting to expand other types of coverage. So, of course, Cineco is the Cayman Islands National Insurance Company, which is owned by the Cayman Islands government. And it's looking at expanding into new lines of business aimed at providing what they say will be a greater choice for health insurance coverage to more people. So this came out of um, the uh, Deputy Premier's office, the Minister for Finance and Economic Development. And he essentially said that expanding it to wider population will help to achieve several of government's um, objectives and hopefully answer the pleas of uninsured and underinsured individuals. So we shall see. It's part of their strategic policy statement for the PAC government. All okay. right, then. Uh -huh. All right. Yep. So those well, are some of your news headlines today. We are off, obviously, tomorrow mm -hmm. and on Monday. So we will catch you on Tuesday on the show, Perfect. Sandy. Have yourself a great weekend. And you can catch uh, Sandy right now with Cold Hard Truth on Bobo 89.1 FM in just three minutes. Have a great weekend. Thank you. You too. Happy Easter. All right, All right. <clears throat> folks. Got a frog in my throat there. <clears throat> it is Easter weekend. Happy Thursday, Miss Irvelyn. Hi, Marshall. I got to keep an eye on the time.
Do, 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 do. Hello, Catherine. Nadine is here. Lily Boo, how are you? Miss Virtuous, feeling blessed this morning. Hello, Diamond Princess. Good morning to Olivia. Wee Wee's here. Richard says good morning from Celine and himself. Miss Lulu is here. Good morning and happy Easter. Yes, we should have some Easter fun today. We shall talk about it. We shall talk about it. Um, so Easter is a fun weekend. I don't know what you guys have planned. You can tell me in a little bit. We're going to continue our discussion, by the way, once we go live on the radio in another minute or so. We will be, um, you know, continuing our discussion about bullying because it always surprises me how complacent parents are in this. I don't know what's wrong with parents. Y'all need to get it together. Uh, OCM Production says good morning, but it's not a guarantee. Benji, good morning. Happy Easter. Thank you so much. Rita, buenos dias. Melissa, good morning, my darling. All right, we're getting ready to hit that button for to join our radio audience. Isn't it fun being on the radio? Are you guys listening on the radio as well? You can let me know. Give me a call, 936-2626. 15 seconds and counting before we'll hit that show intro button. Don't forget to join our um, WhatsApp news list where you get all the latest news, everything that's happening. Peppermint, sorrel, ginger, beaver grass, or English. Get it ready. Your morning tea just got hotter. Ooh, honey chow. On the cold hard truth, Bobo 89.1 and Cayman's number one talk show are bringing you morning talk like no one else. Monday Rewind, Impact Wednesdays, Caribbean Connections, and much more. Don't miss a beat with what's happening in the local community. Just keep sipping your tea. What a mess. Here's your host, live and direct from the Cayman Islands, Sandy Hill. Uh, that means that you get four days off from work if you're lucky. Now, I know some of y'all got to work because you're in certain industries. Sorry. Um, but yeah, most people will be able to take the weekend off for a four-day holiday weekend. I think it's only four-day holiday weekend. We get an entire year, right? So it's fantastic. Everybody always looks forward to uh, traveling over Easter. Good morning to Perla. Happy Easter, she says. Remember that schools close at 1 p.m. today. Are they still open? I thought they were closed already. Hmm. Well, I think a lot of clo- schools have been closed, hence the reduction in your traffic complaints uh, over the week. So um, are government schools still in today? I'm not sure. Lulu says uh, that she's going to be switching over to the radio. I love it. I really love it because a lot of people have said to me, Sandy, the radio thing works well for them because maybe they're at home in the morning initially getting ready and um, you know they're listening on YouTube or Facebook. And then as they transition into the car, to be able to hit the road before they'd have to wait until they got back to work and they had unlimited Wi-Fi. Now they can just dial it in to 89.1 FM. So that is super, super cool. I'm so glad um, that you guys are really enjoying, you know, the radio 
aspect of it. Thank you very, very much to DMS. So um, in addition to that, you know, we're, we're gearing up uh, after Easter, we're going to be having sort of a regular scheduled commercials. I know a lot of you are like, oh, it's commercial free. Well, you got to pay the bills, folks. <laughs> so it's not quite commercial free. Um, but thus far, it has been uh, commercial free. And so we're going to start interjecting some client commercials coming up here in the coming weeks. But don't worry, they, they won't take up too much time. Um, so good morning to one and good morning to all. We had a very, very interesting discussion yesterday. And um, I have been working behind the scenes uh, to try to, you know, <laughs> resolve some of the bullying issues that, that's happening. So I'm going to update you guys in just a little bit. Uh, we'll go through some news headlines and then we'll get to that uh, part two of the bullying conversation because especially for a radio audience, I know that we didn't quite uh, finish yesterday. So really, really shocking that this deadly drug, fentanyl, was seized in the Cayman Islands, folks. Uh, no drugs should be played with because any drug um, can certainly be deadly, even sometimes prescription drugs. You've got to be careful. You've got to follow the instructions of your physicians. But believe me when I tell you that this particular drug um, has a reputation for being extremely deadly. And, um, you know, it comes in different forms and pill form is one of them. And apparently it's very, very easy to mix uh, fentanyl with other illicit drugs like marijuana and other things, cocaine and whatever. <clears throat> and evidently it's a thing. So the deaths, the people dying from fentanyl is skyrocketed in the U.S. and appear, it appears now that it has made its way to our shores as well. So the CBC is very, very concerned about this. Mr. Charles Clifford, who's director over there at um, Customs and Border Control, you know, issued a statement yesterday that says that this is an emerging trend and it's not the kind of emerging trend that you want to be an emerging trend, but they've intercepted and seized in two separate recent cases, um, 288 tablets, I believe it was, of fentanyl. And of course, the investigations are continuing. So this is so dangerous that according to the CDC, in November of 20, this is November 2021 data um, that was actually released by the Center for Disease Control and Prevention, some uh, estimated 100 thousand uh, plus drug overdoses in the U.S. during a 12-month period uh, ending in April were connected to a fentanyl, um, you know, overdose. And so that trend showed a 28.5% increase from the same period for the previous year. That's a significant increase, folks. And I was just having a, a bit of a, you know, update or look at the news this morning. And um, it appears that this drug is so incredibly uh, dangerous, an extremely powerful opiate. Sometimes it can be used as pain medication. I think that's why it was designed. But, um, you know, they use it for anesthesia, for example, with other drugs. But now that it has uh, entered the recreational market, they mix it with everything. They mix it with heroin, with cocaine, uh, methamphetamine and marijuana and other things. Believe me, folks, um, it's it's deadly. So some of the headlines just in the last day, NPR, one of my favorite sources for news, says teen drug overdose rose sharply in 2020, driven by fentanyl lace pills. Um, you know, teenagers don't always know what they're getting. 
just like adults, when somebody gives you an illicit drug or they say, oh, take this pill, you're not going to be putting it in a microscope and analyzing it. And folks that can have anything in it is the problem. So um, they're saying that in 2020, they saw teenage overdoses uh, increase significantly and they kept rising through 2021. And this is according to a new pub, a new study, my apologies, that was published in the um, journal of, let me tell you what the full name of this journal is, JAMA Network. Um, this is the, ugh, I should know, I read their stuff all the time. I should know the full name, but anyway, it's the well-respected medical journal. <laughs> um, so JAMA has reported in a new study that, um, illicit drug supply has increasingly become contaminated with illicitly manufactured fentanyls and other synthetic opiates um, and other things. And apparently this has impacted the adolescent drug use rates, which remained stable between 2010 and 2020. But, um, and by the way, the adolescent drug use rate is at about 30.2 and 30.4% in the US. That's a lot of 10th graders who report that they have used an illicit drug in the past 12 months. So there was a slight decline in 2021, but even with that, um, it is more deadly and the risk associated overdose deaths has risen because of the fentanyl um, component. Any, any of my physicians listening have access to this journal? I wanna read the full text of it, but of course it's telling me that, um, that it's, that's not available. Um, subscription only. <laughs> uh, we'll, we'll see if we can get the full, uh, the full text of this because I'm sure it's very, very interesting. But, um, you know, opiates have really taken over the U.S. It's not a good thing at all. Um, you know, it says here that um, fatal overdoses among adolescents nearly doubled in 2019. It's an increase of uh, 94% from 2019 to 2020. And then there was an additional 20% rise in 2021 compared to the previous years. Wow. Mm -mm -mm. The highest rates were among Native Americans. Ugh, such a sad story. Alaskan Natives teens followed by Latino teens. Wow. Mm. A mess. But, uh, you know, it's a crisis all over the U.S., I was listening to a couple stories um, some months ago about there's some drug that they try to give you to bring you out of it. And, you know, it's just crazy what people will do. It's like they'll, they'll shoot up with fentanyl and other opiates um, just to then have to take this counter drug, which the whole process can be incredibly uh, deadly, but it is seen to be quite a lifesaver uh, to bring you out of an opiate um, overdose if you can get to it in time. Mm -mm. So there's a statement here that says that teenagers don't seek out illicit opiates, but they do seek out prescription opiates. And that has always been one of their favorite drugs. Everything from Vicodin sorry, to Oxycontin and Hydrocone, <laughs> right? And so um, by seeking out these drugs, a lot of times they're buying counterfeit versions of these medications. In other words, they're fake. And they look like the commonly prescribed medication, but of course they're finding that they're more and more increasingly being contaminated with fentanyl in the last few years. 
So um, young people, stay away from these things. Stay away from drugs. You are taking a chance that, trust me, only one pill and it can kill you. Um, Benzodiazepine, di um, this person says one pill and it can kill you, just like I just said. Um, so, you know, recreational drugs, it's, it's not, uh, it's not a good look. And, um, the situation seems to be now on our shores, um, where people are, you know, bringing it into the Cayman Islands. Wow. 288 tablets. Imagine if each one of those tablets was deadly or even 50%, uh, made someone overdose and die. That's a, that's a lot of dead people. That's way more than COVID has killed. So teenagers uh, begging you and adults as well, because I, I understand that, you know, listen, recently someone died quite unexpectedly. The rest of us were going, wow, this person looks like they're the picture of health and how did this happen? And someone said to me, mm, I understand that they're into drugs or they were a drug user. And I said, really? I said, uh, well, well, what kind of drugs? Like people still do that? People still use drugs? Poor me. I'm so naive with certain things. I'm like, I thought drugs were so 1980s and 1990s. Like who's still using drugs? Like, honestly, um, someone just said, in fact, touching fentanyl can kill you, which is why police officers and all EMS carry uh, Narcan. Yes. And Narcan is the drug. There was an interesting story, um, a podcast I was listening about how important that is um, to you know, saving people from a fentanyl overdose. So even just touching it inadvertently uh, can have very, very deadly consequences. So um, yes, I thought people in Cayman still do drugs. Like really? And the person who I was talking to was like, uh, yes, clearly, <laughs> clearly you're not too well informed on this particular topic. And um yeah, I'm not. So, you know, that's what I'm hearing. Um, but even here in the Cayman Islands are people who are lacing uh, cocaine and whatever else you guys are doing out there with some of these very, very dangerous uh, opiates. So in case you don't know, fentanyl is heroin synthetic cousin, and it's considered one of the worst drugs um, of the opiate crisis, if not the worst. And um it's just, it says it's so much stronger than heroin. That's why it's incredibly deadly. And they, they show a little, um, let me show this to our online viewers because I thought that this was quite interesting to put things in perspective, right? Because, you know, if you, don't, if you don't know anything about drugs then you just don't know anything about drugs. I don't do drugs. Um, so look at, look at this. There's uh, two vials here, one of heroin and one of fentanyl. And so the point here is on the left, a lethal dose of heroin, right? So that's how much heroin, it's lethal. And then on the right, a lethal dose of fentanyl. Can I tell you, you could almost count the greens on the right. That's how little it is of the fentanyl, but that's how lethal it is. Look at the comparison there. That is amazing. So this is the New Hampshire State Police Forensic Laboratory this photo was taken from. Again, the left photo is a lethal dose of heroin equivalent to about 30 milligrams. And on the right is a three milligram dose of fentanyl. And that's enough to kill an average size adult male. Oh my God, this is crazy. 
So fentanyl, according to the Center for Disease Control and Prevention, is up to 100 times more potent than morphine and many times that of heroin. Wow. So the problem is, is a lot of drug users, again, if they're shooting up certain things, including heroin, they're not going to know that it's actually laced with fentanyl so that when they inject their usual quantity of heroin, they're actually getting inadvertently a deadly dose of the other substance of the fentanyl as well. So um, apparently dealers try to include fentanyl to improve potency and their measuring equipment usually isn't fine-tuned enough, imagine this, to ensure that they stay below the levels that could cause users to overdose. Plus, the fentanyl sold in the street is almost always made in a clandestine lab and it is less pure than the pharmaceutical version and thus its effects on the body um, on the fact of, effect on the body, sorry, can be unpredictable. And heroin and fentanyl look identical. Uh, and when drugs are purchased in the street, it's not like you're going to be asking them, you know, what are you taking it for? <laughs> you, this um, forensic uh, laboratory director says you're injecting yourself with a loaded gun. Wow. So New Hampshire like the rest of New England has been hit particularly hard by the opiate epidemic. 70% increase from one year to the next. So crazy. So apparently fentanyl was originally used as an uh, anesthetic and then doctors realized how effective it was at relieving pain in small quantities. And they started using it for that purpose. And in the hands of trained professionals and with laboratory grade equipment, fentanyl actually has a pretty wide therapeutic index or range within which the drug is both effective and safe. The difference in strength between heroin and fentanyl uh, arises from differences in their chemical structure. So the chemicals in both, oh God, now we're getting a bit um, too technical, but anyway, uh, so it has to do with how the MU opiate receptor in the brain works when you use fentanyl versus um, morphine or heroin. So apparently the fentanyl will get there faster than the morphine. It's an almost instantaneous byproduct when the uh, body breaks down heroin because it's more easily passed through the fat that is plentiful in the brain. So what fentanyl does is it hugs the receptor so tightly, a visual there, that a tiny amount is enough to start the molecular chain of events that instigates, that instigates opiates effect on the body. So in other words, you're going to get high quicker. <laughs> um, and that's why it's deadly almost almost immediately. Um, so this drug, naloxone, I think it's how it's pronounced, or Narcan is a more common name, can be used to combat a fentanyl overdose. Um, and, uh, you know, apparently people who are drug addicts are actually walking around with some of that now, but it's, it's, um, it's not a guarantee, that's for sure. So folks, uh, the idea here is to stay away from this stuff. It's very, very concerning. I hope that our local agencies, um, police and border control can figure out who is bringing this drug in and act accordingly because it needs to be stopped immediately. So good morning, uh, Yasmin says private schools, um, are closed. So that accounts for the less traffic. Good morning, Diamond Princess. Jonathan um, says, nobody, 
nobody puts fentanyl in ganja. Um, I don't, I don't know. Are you sure? I'm not, I'm not swearing for nobody now. I don't know what they're putting in who and where and uh, 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 uh. nope. Um, I wouldn't chance it. You just never know what's up. Listen, you're going to trust. This is where during the whole COVID pandemic, right? I always thought it was so interesting. The people who were going on and on and on and on about um, the vaccine. And some of them were like hardcore drug users. And I thought to myself, can you, can you have it make sense, Jesus? When you were shooting up, God knows what, because you don't know when you're shooting up cocaine or heroin or whatever else, what's really in it, um, or snorting it or however you ingest it. Can you please tell me, were you asking for the list of ingredients from your drug dealer at that time? And now you're like the biggest advocate about being an anti-vaxxer and what's in my vaccine. Oh, we don't know the ingredients and this was rushed. And I was like, okay, when your street dealer was cooking your crack for you, were you like, um, don't rush it, honey. Make sure you do it at the right temperature because I want to get high, but I'd like to do so safely. Some of y'all are so incredibly duplicitous in the BS that you comes out of your mouth. I'm just like, mm. forgive me if I look at you and think, okay, yes, you're reformed. Good for you. Kudos. But I'm really still not going to listen to you on this topic when it comes to drug use and being concerned about what goes in your body. All of a sudden, only when it comes to the COVID vaccine, do I really care about what's going in my body? And then you go eat a burger or whatever else you're doing. Uh -uh -uh. Good morning, Miss Bonnie. Joining us from East End. You know, some mornings I can get salty, y'all. Uh -uh -uh. Lord have mercy. If y'all don't know me by now, I'm just a salty kind of person. <laughs> sweet and salty. I can be so sweet, but I can be so salty at the same time. Uh, it makes for interesting times, if you know me. TB Parkinson's, good morning. Says fentanyl is worse than heroin. Yes. Joshua, good morning. Joshua says Ganja is the best. I don't know why Anna so against that. Anything, anybody died from Ganja? No, but drinking causes plenty of deaths. Um, What a hot mess. Why do y'all have to put any foreign substance? Listen, I know you want to believe that weed growing in the bushes, but there's a lot of things that grow in the bushes that um, really grows in Mother Nature that isn't good for you anyway. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Uh, yeah. So, um, can't you just get your high off of living a good, healthy life with no foreign substances? I mean, what's the big deal? Why do you need to be smoking all the time? First of all, smoking, if you're smoking ganja, there's no form of smoking. I don't care what you're smoking. You could be smoking a lollipop. Nothing that you could smoke could be healthy for you because the process of smoking and the way that that creates carcinogens is cancer-causing agents, right? So I don't care what y'all want to say about marijuana or ganja. If you are smoking it, you are being extremely unhealthy. I'm just saying. Good morning, Bishop Hero Blair. Says, watching your very informative program from the cool, calm, overpowering Orlando. So how can it be cool, calm, and overpowering? I miss a good Orlando trip. Lord, all those, uh, um, what do you call the, the outlet malls? Oh, hello, Scott, my darling. How are you? Scott's having a good laugh. He's like, haha, morning, Sandy. Morning, 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 John. Anyway, folks, I'm not going to get into the ganja debate because I know enough of y'all be smoking it and y'all going to be like, Sandy, trying to get under my high this morning. We're going to keep you uplifted and we're going to keep you high without the necessity of smoke. So let's continue the conversation. Um, the Pat government 
is expanding cynical coverage. Now we need to really do a deep dive into this conversation. So we're going to have the minister, um, Deputy Premier, Mr. Christopher Saunders on the program and talk about what his vision is for the expansion of health coverage with Cynico. Because I have a lot of questions. Nothing wrong with expanding, but are they ready for it is my only question because we know Um, People complain all the time about trying to submit applications to Seneca and how long it takes and, you know, are they on top of doing payments? Do they even have a director or CEO of Seneca? Because the last one got fired quite ceremoniously with a lot of hoopla back in, I think maybe that was 2019 or whatever. And I've never heard of a replacement being hired. (laughs) So is someone still acting over there? Like, what? Hello. Um, so I do have questions about whether or not they can handle all this new line of business that is going to be coming their way. Um, in theory, it sounds like a workable idea. So what they're wanting to do is to expand cynical coverage for a wider population through what they say is developing affordable health insurance plans for younger and healthier residents, followed by a plan for retirees and offering a health insurance option to public servants, uh, allowing for choice of healthcare providers. Well, that would be interesting because right now, um, Cineco really forces you to go to the HSA in the first instance. Hmm. I have to wonder about this. Don't forget, folks, you can call into the program, 936-2626. Let us have your thoughts. But I that made me pause and think, are they, on the one hand, potentially creating business for Cineco, which... Yeah, that's a good thing, potentially. And then on the other hand, are they going to be taking business away from the HSA? Because if they're giving you a choice, a lot of people might be like, I'm going to choose another provider. So, of course, this, um, by extension, is going to force the HSA to be more competitive with other private sector medical providers. And there's a the space of, listen, I feel like being a doctor has always been a, a really good job <laughs> to be in, right? It's kind of like being a lawyer. You're always going to have clients. You're always going to have customers. And so there's been a significant expansion um, in the medical profession uh, with some really big players. So, uh, you know, HSA doesn't necessarily um, automatically get clients. They, they're going to they're gonna have to work for it. So this is interesting. I think we're going to keep a close eye on this expansion of Cineco. And they say that they're also going to be looking at expanding it into things like property and casualty for residential and auto insurance um, to the public sector employees and their families. Hmm. Interesting. We'll see. Uh, we'll, have to, we'll invite the, the deputy premier on after the holidays. And I think we're going to dive a little bit deeper into this to see exactly uh, what their thoughts are. So according to them, core government's healthcare cost is going to, now this is t- um, for 14 year period between 2009 and 2023, forecasted to increase by 120% from almost $91 million in 2009 to just under $200 million in 2023. Mm, mm, mm. So healthcare costs represents an average of 19% of core government's total operating expenses, indicating that it's becoming more difficult for the public purse to sustain the increase in costs. Wow. Um, So that's interesting. And this uh, statement also made reference to the withdrawal of a major insurer from the Cayman Islands market in 2021. I don't know who, who withdrew. 
Oh, Generali. Oh, did they? Oh, didn't even miss them, Cheryl. Uh, but apparently they are one of the largest health providers in the Cayman Islands and they withdrew their business from the Cayman market. Did they really? It's interesting. That just happened in December 2021. I've not heard a single person mention it. So who was with Generali? I guess some other people got their business, honey, Cheryl. Um, so the statement says that the withdrawal was a shock to the market as many individuals and businesses had to find new health insurance providers. Health insurance to me seems like good business too. Mm. I don't know who's coming out on top here, the physicians or the health insurance companies, but people making some money. <sighs> John says uh, they delay a lot for everything and terrible customer service. Dean says, can the canine unit detect fentanyl? Um, how is How is it detected? That's a very good question, Dean. And... I don't know. Let me see. Uh, apparently, they're fentanyl test strips. Okay. Um, yes, they're low-cost test strips that you can get, similar to a home pregnancy test. Uh, to So I don't know. I'm not sure that you'd want, as deadly as this thing is, and if you can, it can kill you just by judging it, I'm not so sure that you'd probably want even drug dogs around this kind of stuff because God knows they have very, they do have a very sensitive, um, you know, sense of smell, obviously, but mm, um, I don't see any mention. Does anybody know the answer to this? I see no mention of drug dogs being used. Um, so I'm not sure. So far I've only seen people say, um, uh, no detectable influence of fentanyl sedation in the dogs are detected. Um, so it says during police operations, here we go. The dogs can detect fentanyl from a safe difference, safe distance, sorry. And the dog handlers are trained to administer an antidote for dogs. They're at risk too. So, um, Apparently, there is a technique that was developed by our Canadian counterparts. We fondly refer to them as the Maple Leaf Mafia sometimes. <laughs> so they've developed a technique that safely trains dogs to detect the powerful opiate. And apparently, they got some platinum award for this, the Royal Canadian Mounted Police. Mess with them. Um, so there is a specific technique. I don't think it's the normal, just have the dog run up to it. And so they have trained all of its 139 narcotics profile dogs across Canada, um, to be able to detect it. So what they do is they transform pure fentanyl into light diluted liquid form, which allows the dogs to train with the scent of real fentanyl without risking um, inhaling it because obviously that'd be deadly for the poor dogs, right? So it's rendering the technique safe and efficient and making the dogs extremely productive in the field. During the police operations, the dogs detect fentanyl from a safe distance and dog handlers are trained to administer an antidote to canine, sorry, who may inadvertently come into contact with the drug. Wow. this thing is so deadly. Oh my God. Um, so the short answer, Dean, is apparently yes, but 
there is a specific way to do it. And there's a specific course apparently um, that the dogs have to go through. And I guess the handlers as well, so that they know how to, how to do it. So this is relatively new in 2018. It said that fentanyl detecting police dogs are the newest soldiers in the battle against opiates. Oh, these poor dogs work harder than, than anything. And what do they get? A free meal? Oh, what a thing. Um, so, hmm. wow, very interesting, poor doggies. So they're on the front lines too, folks. Um, there's a report here that says synthetic opiates put police dogs at risk, according to the American Veterinary um, Association. Wow. Mm-mm-mm. The things that you you hear and you read. Damien, good morning. Um, Eddie says it's not deadly if you touch it. What's not deadly? Fentanyl? Uh, are you sure about that? I've heard from more sources that it's extremely deadly. Even touching it. All right. Two milligrams can be lethal. Let's see what the DEA has to say about this. Mm-hmm. Um, how deadly is it? One pill can kill. So, here's an article, says, uh, are police overdosing by touching fentanyl? Mm-hmm. Let's see what it says here. So, mm. okay, so this is what it says. This is BuzzFeed. So they're saying that there have been a couple articles that have reported this and they go on to say, um, that there's something off about this seemingly epidemic of accidental overdoses because it is virtually impossible to overdose simply by touching or getting too close to fentanyl. Doctors and toxicologists warn that this hype about this perceived threat is harming overdose victims, taxpayers, and first responders. Accidental overdose. Thank you, Eddie, for pointing us to, to dig a little bit deeper. Accidental overdose by skin exposure is chemically and physically implausible according to Dr. Ryan Marino, who's a medical toxicologist and addiction medicine specialist. He serves as a um, assistant professor at Case Western Reserve University of Medicine, wherever that is. Uh, Dr. Andrew Stolbach, who's an emergency physician and medical toxicologist at John Hopkins Hospital also said that it is not possible to overdose on fentanyl by touching it. If it is absorbed well through the skin, people wouldn't inject it and snort it in order to get high. Hmm, okay, I'm following your logic here. Despite this, people who use the drug are facing serious legal repercussions, such as charges of assault or endangerment of officers for supposedly causing these impossible overdoses. People should not be put in jail for imaginary crimes, says Marino. This is interesting. Um, so how is it happening? 
Um, so they give an example here of an officer who got who pulled somebody over in East Liverpool, Ohio. They searched his vehicle for drugs and found powder that later tested positive for fentanyl. Buckle at the scene said the powder in the vehicle might include fentanyl and he was arrested. At least an hour later, Green explained to a colleague that he didn't feel well. He had brushed some powder off on his shirt, touching it with his bare skin. And the colleague later recounted in police documents that Green became saturated in sweat and was barely coherent. Um, wow. So he was panicking, trying to talk and fallen forward, but nothing after that. He was taken to the hospital and treated for an overdose. Interesting. Okay. So they end up charging him basically with assault on a peace officer for exposing um, the arresting officer to fentanyl. Wow. And that added a year and a half to his jail time. Hmm. This is interesting. So um, at the time, the Ohio Attorney General's office put out a press statement where it said that, um, and they quoted, fentanyl is so dangerous that even the slightest exposure can be deadly. But thankfully in this case, the, um, what's the drug called again? Uh, nalo, naloxin or whatever was close at hand, right? So that's the one that they, the countering drug. Um, however, the news media picked up on the story accordingly, but now they're saying that, uh, let's see how, well, how did he get it? This is a bit confusing. Um, so they had 150 media reports in 2017 about this sort of thing, uh, accidental fentanyl exposure. So I want to know how people actually get exposed to it then, if that's not possible. Let's keep reading. Uh... So the DEA was even in on the misinformation. Their spokesperson later confirmed that the agency took down an accompanying video warning of the supposed risk that was posted on YouTube and noted that the DEA follows the CDC, which is the Center for, Con Center for Disease Control and Prevention, guidelines for preventing occupational exposure to illicit drugs. Huh. Okay. Hmm. So um, there has been an increase in media reports about this, but although they're saying it's not correct, I'm still trying to read to say to see what happens. How, how are they getting um, how are they getting exposed to it? So are they like sneaking a tablet themselves as they're arresting someone? Uh, hmm. So experts have long warned that this pervasive concern can create serious consequences. Yes, yes, yes. Let's get to the point where you tell us what's actually happening. Mm. Oh, okay. So here's what they're saying. While many first responders clearly experience physical suffering after believed exposure to fentanyl, experts suggest it's possible that they're experiencing panic attacks or line of sight afflictions, not overdoses, and are suffering negative consequences to their mental health. Some symptoms of opiate overdoses, such as perspiration and lightheadedness, are also associated with anxiety attacks. Huh. Uh, so Ryan McNeil, an assistant professor of medicine and public health at Yale University, 
said that first responders' descriptions of suspected overdose actually sounded more like a panic attacks and not toxicity. And it's galling that we're treating that as an overdose when it's not even how an overdose presents. Wow. This is so bizarre. <laughs> Am I the only person that thinks this is so weird? Um, in August of 2005, the San Diego Sheriff's Office actually posted something on, looks like Twitter, on their Twitter feed, where they actually show an officer on the ground and said that he was exposed to, to fentanyl and almost died from the overdose. But it seems like it's all psychosomatic. Wow, Eddie, you have opened a whole can of worms <laughs> this morning. That is the most bizarre thing I have heard in a minute. But anything is possible when it comes to the brain. I'm telling y'all, the brain is the most powerful drug in the world. Look at this guy. So what he's actually having is just a panic attack because he thinks that he's been exposed to, but then they're giving him that anti-fentanyl um, drug. What? Okay, this is just super weird. Mm. The things you hear every day. So Louie, uh, good morning, says good morning to the CMR Massive, spread love and help grow. And he said that those dogs aren't cheap. They go anywhere from $10,000 to $35,000. Well, there's a lot of training that goes into specialty dogs for sure. They're not your average house dog. Uh, TK Parkinson says it's good that the PAC government is expanding their products and services. Hope this improves the waiting time and no contact for clients of any of you that really need medical attention. Uh, well, <laughs> expanding your products is one thing, but being able to work on the customer service element, knowing that you're potentially going to be getting more customers because now you're expanding your, your customer base and the services that you're offering is a whole other something. And that's what I'm saying that I really hope that they've thought about the staffing that's going to be required at Cineco and, um, you know, how they can, they can sort it out. Uh, Dean Shillette says we need to get, get Cayman's dogs trained up for the opiate war. What a thing. 936-2626, folks, is the telephone number. Um, by the way, last night, if you did not listen to last night's program, every other Wednesday, we are live with um, Premier Access with Premier Panton for an hour. You can ask him your direct questions. So he'll be back on now on the 27th of April. So make sure that you tune in for that. And quite interestingly enough, um, the parent, you guys remember Tuesday, she called in, I'm assuming she's one of the parents, but you've got two parents who one parent wants the children to get vaccinated. It's impeding her ability to travel and you know other things. And the other parent doesn't want them to get vaccinated, uh, children 14 and 15 years old, and they're going through a divorce. So um, just to touch on this, in case you guys missed the response last night. She was hoping that the government would be able to help by saying, oh, let's have a 14 and 15 year old take the vaccination status of a parent. The government isn't going to do that. Um, so it's only children under 12. Right. But uh, this is where, unfortunately, sometimes you marry people and you think everything's going to be hunky dory until it's divorce time. And then when you're getting a divorce, people show a different side of themselves. And um, that's got to be a really, really difficult situation, because I know for a fact during the pandemic and during the whole vaccination drive, I ran into mostly women who wanted to get vaccinated and they had family members, you know, whether it was a boyfriend or a spouse who did not want them to get vaccinated. 
And some of them had a fear of violence over it, which is horrible that somebody would beat you up because you wanted to get vaccinated. It's, it's sad that we live in homes like this, some of you, not me, Joe, but some of you live in homes like this. And I thought to myself, so in your home, if your significant other is a woman tells you, oh, you can't use birth control or you can't wear a certain outfit or you can't comb your hair a certain way, are we still there? I mean, do we still live in, to me, that's like a form of bullying in, in your own personal relationships. Do we still live with people who um, make those demands on us? for fear of violence. So I do know, I saw people sneaking in because sometimes I was there covering the news and they'd be like, Miss Sandy, please don't put me on camera. And I was like, okay. And I didn't know why in the moment, but I respected the request. And then later on, I got messages from different people, including even their employers in some instances to say, thank you, because this person, this woman is in a vulnerable household. She wants to get vaccinated. She believes that vaccine is life-saving but she has a boyfriend or a spouse that would basically beat her up if he found out. And I was like, what? My brain had to pause, like literally my brain paused and I had to like think about that. That's actually happening here in the Cayman Islands. Are you kidding me? So I'm thinking, I wonder how many other women um, don't have the right to birth control, for example, and other things in their personal choices and their personal lives because of these no good men trying to tell them what to do. Ugh. It's, it's disturbing beyond just the vaccine, right? So um, I feel for this parent, but if you have joint custody and one parent does not have, because, you know, sometimes you have split custody of children and then like the primary caregiver, the court will say you can make the medical decisions in relation to the child, et cetera, et cetera. And if that isn't the case, if it's split down the middle, then you're going to have to lawyer up and take your spouse to court and get a judge, a court order to say that you can vaccinate your kids. Isn't that really, really amazing? Um, but yeah, it's Wow. I don't do, do you guys tell me, are you in a relationship where you don't have a say about your own body? Do you guys sit down and have a conversation? Like to me, I find it bizarre because I'm not in that kind of relationship and I've never been. So, you know, maybe I don't know how prevalent this is. I'm thinking about it when I decided to get vaccinated. In fact, my husband got vaccinated before me. He, he told me, he's like one day, um, he said, Oh, I'm going to go ahead and do it today you know, cause I think him and his coworkers like went together, whatever. And I was like, okay. So he, de he definitely told me, and I, obviously he would have known my position on vaccines in general, but these are the things you don't think about when you're getting into relationship. 10 years ago, when we were dating and going out, whatever, was I sitting down going, Oh honey, well, how do you feel about vaccines by the way? Cause I know COVID is coming. You know, you don't see these things. How do you feel about vaccines? But I think you get a real sense of an individual's position on a lot of different things. So I'm sure we would have had general conversations. My husband is not an alarmist. Um, he is, he believes in science and he believes he's a tech driven person. So he obviously believes in technology and he's very, very logical. And so those traits um, tend to, but not always uh, transfer when it comes to medical treatments and other things as well, right? But how many of you actually have conversations in your household 
about um, medical intervention. Like if this happened to me as a spouse, I want to make sure you're going to fulfill my wishes. That's why something like a living will sometimes is actually a necessity to make sure that your wishes are fulfilled. But anyway, I digress, but it's a very, very weird um, situation to find yourselves in. And there were other people, I saw them posting on social media who would say, for example, um, you know, I saw one person in particular, she's like, I went and got vaccinated and, you know, I don't care who like it. I did it for me and my children. And when I kind of got the backstory, because of course her post made me pause and I go, what do you mean you don't care who like it? Like it was such an interesting way to word it. When I um, got some additional information, it turns out that her mother-in-law was part of one of these anti-vaxxer movements because she was tied to a certain physician who believed in alternative COVID treatments. And so the mother-in-law was pressuring the daughter-in-law, who's married to her son, to not get vaccinated. And she has young children. She said, I'm not, it's bad enough that you might have a spouse that's pressuring you to do one thing, but then you got to worry about your in-laws and extended family. I'm like, y'all are crazy. <laughs> Seriously? No, thank you. You don't control my body as a mother-in-law. Are you, are you next level crazy? So when she got vaccinated, she made this big statement on Facebook. Don't talk to me about it. I did it for me and my children and it's done. The irony of it is the mother-in-law caught COVID later on, was actually really, really sick, hid it from her employer. Boy, came out you know, <laughs> because the employer was saying, you know, for the job, you need to get vaccinated, you need to get vaccinated, but she wasn't getting vaccinated. So she hid it from the employer that she had actually gotten COVID and gotten really sick. But, you know, came out and stalked gel. We knew who had COVID. And so um, all of a sudden, after the after she got it, and she was really, she's quite fortunate, actually, because she's a little bit older, uh, carrying some extra pounds. In other words, she's fat, obese, um, some pro, uh, comorbidities for COVID. So then afterwards, the mother-in-law decides to go ahead and get vaccinated after all. <laughs> I thought to myself, what a hot mess. Uh, Gary, good morning. He says, laughing out loud. Yes, we do, Sandra. It may not be physical, but financial. Oh, what, what was that in response to? Mm. So um, I'm glad that the whole COVID thing is, is kind of a little bit under control, although it's there's spikes again happening in the U.S. and mask mandates are returning. It is nice to not have to talk about COVID every single day, but it is still there. People are still dying every day of COVID, folks. Uh, some people, you know, want you to believe that it has disappeared. They're like, oh, you see, I told you COVID was fake. And then I'm like, no, it's not fake. It's just our new norm. And we're not as obsessed about it as we were. And, you know, there have been a decrease in uh, deaths and infections, definitely locally. But we just got the results yesterday for epidemiology, epidemi, what's it called? The epi week. Um, hold on. Let me tell you. The, this just came out last night. Epi week number um, situational report for epidemiological week number 14. And we had another person who died of COVID. We're now up to 27, or does that bring it to 28? I think that's 27 or 28, right? So this is another patient. This one was actually fully vaccinated, suffered from severe comorbidities. So I don't know what the severe comorbidities are, but again, everyone that you add on makes your chances, even if you are vaccinated, um, that you could die from this disease. So... You know, during week 14, there were a total of 284 new cases of COVID reported by public health. 
four cases less than reported in the previous week. We do have a caller, so let's go to the phone lines. Good morning, caller, and welcome to the program. Morning. Hello. How are you? Not bad. Good. Uh, should I have control over my body? Of course. And don't you? So you you've chosen not so to get vaccinated. So I could choose natural immunity, right? You can choose. Say that again. I can choose natural immunity, right? If you want, that's on you. I did. <laughs> have you had both COVID yet? Have you had COVID yet? Both, both me and my kids have natural immunity. So you've had COVID? No problem. Mm -hmm. Now, that doesn't mean that somebody else won't have problems. Well, of course. This and is I'm, a, this I'm is an individual thing, right? Yeah, of course. And I must say that I know you have at least a comorbidity. So I'm, I'm glad that you had, that it was okay for you. Well, the irony is, is that taking the vaccine is higher risk. For, for you the particularly. Reason, the reason, right. The reason for that is that when you get natural immunity, you don't normally get the dosage that you get in a vaccine. In other words, if I ease into it, the risk is lower than if I have one, bam, big dose. Well, that? except there's no there's no COVID in a COVID vaccine. Um, that's playing with words mm. because what? No, it's a fact. That's playing with words. Let me explain why. It's just because they don't give you the protein already constructed, which is the traditional vaccine, but instead give you the genetic code that will allow your body to manufacture the protein, you just one step away from the same thing. So what happens with the vaccine, if I can call it that, is <laughs> that your, your, your body um, will uh, take in the genetic material that's delivered in the vaccine and then use the um, um, machinery of your cells to manufacture the, the protein and exhibit that protein on the surface of the cell. And your immune system then comes along and sees this protein there and says, wait a second, and start building an immunity to it. And that's where you get the antibodies and that's where you get the T cell protection. So it's just one step away is, is all it is. Um, so according to the CDC, mm -hmm, um, Pfizer, BioNTech, and Moderna vaccines contain the messenger mRNA. Johnson & Johnson vaccine contains a harmless version of a virus unrelated to the virus that causes COVID-19. And well, well, that's just the delivery mechanism of the genetic material. But we're taking in Cayman predominantly, people have taken Pfizer, which is not like that. It's just the genetic material, right? So it's my comments is in relation to the predominant one, not the, the 
you know, couple of hundred that people have taken of the others. Mm. But what the point that I'm making is that the idea behind mRNA is that you have a sequence of amino acids that are uh, make up the genetic code or, or a fragment of the genetic code to be more precise that um, what happens is that they used to believe that it would bind to the ACE2 receptor, but they're finding that in some of your immune cells like monocytes, um, the uh, virus is able to enter and infect your monocytes using the very antibodies that your body has made to the virus. So, Danny, so they're, still let me... they're still learning. They're uh -huh. still learning the different ways in which it can infect you. So let, let me um, let me say this, right? We have had, we've done a tremendous, uh, big shout out to Kevin Wattler, who's done a tremendous job of having COVID-related and other experts, medical experts on this program. And so whilst everybody's entitled to their opinion, you have to understand if I, if I, again, this is a personal decision, decide to rely on the experts who actually have the requisite knowledge and understanding, years of infectious disease expert training degrees and everything behind their name, as opposed to you, who's just my friend, Danny Warren Jr. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I mean, I get it. And I know that you're a person who likes to read a lot. Um, but I know that even the process of deciding what to read and what information to take in can be uh, very, very subjective, depending on, on what the person wants to take in in terms of information. So I rely on experts for the things that I don't know. And there's a whole lot in this big, wide world that I simply don't know. So I don't, I don't become an expert. I rely on experts and I rely on research and data and all this kind of stuff. And I do know that with COVID, this was very much an emerging situation. But I have heard so much stuff that has come out of that anti-vaxxer contingent, which I know that you were a part of. Call it pro-choice or whatever you want to call it. I don't really care. I'm not, I'm not a part of any anti-vax anything. But you you were in these groups, in these these um undercover WhatsApp groups where you guys were sending all these covert messages and you were attacking people who didn't share your anti-vaxxer momentum and messaging I'm and not attacking anyone. No, 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 no. I'm not saying listen to me very clearly. And, and by, I'm just saying that you were in the group. involved in a lot of groups to where you get information too. Well, actually, I'm not involved so in any groups. Between, People just forward me the yes, stuff. Yes, you are, but not not <laughs> just with not. I, I the point I'm making is that you get information in various ways. Yes, I get information absolutely. in various ways too. Yeah, absolutely. So there's nothing there's nothing wrong with that. But putting all of that aside, mm -hmm. the fact of the matter is is very simple. The purpose of a vaccine is to educate your immune system about the identity of the threat. Mm. So when you take a vaccine, you're taking, you're ingesting the threat. Mm. You agree with that? No. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm going to agree with what the experts have said, Denny, and I'm but sorry, is, but, but, but you're okay. no expert. <laughs> okay, I want you to get the... Are you, are you an expert? 
Come on now. Let's go there. Are you an expert? Yes or no? Do you consider yourself I'm going to go there, but I'm going to answer your question in a way that that will resolve this question. The most direct way would be awesome. Yes or no? Are you an expert in infectious diseases? Ask the HSA to come onto your show and say that they are not delivering to you a threat. Have them come and do that. I dare you. Danny, it's a simple question, yes or no. Do you consider yourself the an infectious you're disease? Having is you, don't, you don't understand that it is the threat that you're delivering. The reason why you have antibodies to the threat is because it is your immune system that does the defending. The, the, the purpose of the vaccine is to do the education component for your immune system to say, hey, you see this sequence? I want you to deal with this sequence and your immune system responds to it. Then it develops antibodies that those antibodies help protect you. That's a fact. Go and you ask the HSA, anyone at HSA, to say any different. I dare you. Um, I don't think the that point, they're. The, I don't. I don't think that they're going to respond to question in that way. Just like you won't even respond to whether or not you consider yourself an infectious disease expert, because that is not. I mean, it's a very. It is a complex situation, but the bottom line is this, Denny. The COVID vaccine has saved countless lives. I'm not arguing that. Then I'm what's what's this argument? I, what is it all about? I, then I'm arguing that I have the right. And I'm not arguing against route. that. Listen, yes, listen. you have that right. But you are, you see, when I'm having this but, conversation. Danny, can I, can I ask you a question? Can I ask you very. Let me say this first. Yes. Let me say this first. Mm-hmm. Your perception about the reason why I'm doing this mm-hmm. is wrong. Because your perception. Well, what's, what's, my, what's, what's your though, perception of my perception? My perception of your perception is that you think I'm anti-vax. And I'm, and what my perception is, is that I would rather use the virus itself to do the educating of my immune system so that my immune system can build a more comprehensive defense to it. Do you take any That's kind of medication, position. Denny? Do you yes. have? And I've uh-huh. taken all of the other vaccines too. Yes. Just not this one. Okay. So you just feel differently about this one? this particular one and mm-hmm. nothing else. Mm-hmm. It's, okay. it's not about being anti-vax and I'm not anti-vax mm-hmm. at all. So right. what was your question? Well, you um, <laughs> that's no, no, that's okay. But I mean, I'm glad that you've had a good experience. You do appreciate that there are a lot of people who haven't had do. your experience. And so the I, risk, I the do. risk that you take, right? So you've got a choice of having these so-called antibody responses, which by the way, I took three shots. I did both and then the booster and I didn't have a single response. Um, and a lot of people don't. Uh, so you, you, you have this risk of maybe some sort of uh, antibody response versus long haul COVID, COVID that could kill you and all these other things. Why even take the risk? As someone who is who okay, has, which, you, you know what I find? Can I, let me go back to my question. I, I will go back to it because it is a little bit personal, and I I don't necessarily 
on the one hand, I don't necessarily want to go personal with you, but on the other hand, my brain does think, okay, this is Denny Warren Jr. We know your advocacy in terms of alternative treatments, um, you know, in the past. And so my question is, even if you thought the COVID vaccines, right, the mRNA technology has been around for some 50 years and a lot of research has gone into it. Even if you thought it was experimental, you yourself has advocated for an experimental drug to be approved for the, the usage that you wanted it for specifically and to be brought into this country and approved legislatively where people can have access to it. And the research is less than the research that you have on the COVID vaccine, COVID-19 vaccines. So how do you juxtap like I I see that as a um, duplicitous argument, even in your personality. Like, I, I'm like, how does Denny in his brain say, I'm for, um, um, help me out with the name of what you were advocating for, the medical marijuana, right? So I'm for that. And I think that this is going to help someone. One. Yes. And I think it's going to help someone with cancer treatments, and all this other stuff. And there's not really a whole lot of evidence to support that position. It just isn't there. How do you juxtapose that versus saying, oh, well, I, I can't trust this COVID vaccine, although it has, you know, 50 years worth of mRNA research behind it. mRNA technology is nothing new. There's been 10 years worth of mRNA um, study in relation to treatment, ironically, for cancers using the same mRNA technology. How do, like, when I, when I look at you and I hear your arguments, that's the first thing that comes to my mind. Like, I'm trying to understand the, um, when I say the word duplicitous nature, I'm not meaning it in a bad way, but to me, it's kind of like a double standard, if you will, with you specifically, not other people. But when I think of Denny making the arguments that you've made, so can you help me in two minutes or less understand how that works? Yes, I can. Okay. Um, when you take the, the sequence in the vaccine, it's only a fragment of the virus genome, right? So there are about, I think about 30,000 nucleotides in the sequence. They're only giving you a small portion to code for the spike protein and not everything else, which means that you're only partially educating your immune system about the identity of the threat. And so, Antibodies are not built just to spike proteins. They're built to other elements of the virus particle. And so, in other words, another way of saying it is that if you're exposed to the virus itself, your immune system has many more ways of identifying the threat than just the spike protein. So if the spike protein changes because there's a mutation, in the sequence that your body doesn't lose the ability to defend itself because it has other ways meaning other antibodies to other parts of the virus particle that help it identify it and kill it nevertheless well it sounds not, like we not, need this is not about this is not about being duplicitous at all it's about understanding that that um, being exposed to the virus itself allows your body to have the most comprehensive um, response. 
it's it's mm. not it's not duplicitous at all. But but Denny, it's the not, the, the risk that's associated with being exposed to the virus. This is why people who've gone out there and purposely gotten the virus and who've died. I'm How just like people okay. you know in Cayman who's vitamin D deficient. I don't. Nobody has that information, so I don't know. Well, there's lots of people who are. So how do you come to that conclusion? Uh, in conversation. That's what you're relying on. And, um, this person who wants to hold on now, expert Denny. You want to you want to on the one hand rely on scientific evidence, and then anecdotally you're having conversations with people about their vitamin D levels, and that's the that's what you think is convincing. Show me the research. Okay. Show me the data about vitamin D levels I in the Cayman Islands. Do you? What kind of research do we do in Cayman? <laughs> but Denny, people go to the doctor all the time and get their vitamin D levels. I, so even if you yes, say to me, and, and when they do, let me tell you what they tell me. Oh, I went to the doctor, and the doctor said I'm low. And who who is they? I'm surprised. How? What portion just, of the population can, can do you, you talk to? Can you listen to me? I am listening, listen. but you're not making any sense. No, you you are not allowing me to finish my thoughts, so it's not going to make any sense. Okay, so right. you you so you're, you're making an assumption about people's vitamin D levels that you're going to draw a conclusion on. All right, let's let's go with your assumption. Um, so you go to the doctor and you you find out that you're vitamin D deficient. The doctor says, "Oh yeah, that's actually quite common," mm. and then you go and speak to more people, and you hear the same thing. Mm. That's quite common. So I'm not saying to you that I have any information that specifically defines the degree to which people are deficient. I'm just saying to you that I hear it so much that I'm, 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 it makes me ask the question. How many and, and people how do many, you know this vitamin D deficient? Let, let me just ask you a question. You say you hear it so much. Um, you talk to a wide cross-section of people in the Cayman Islands. I mean, we've got a population of almost 60,000 people. How many of those do you think you actually are in contact with? Well, why don't you ask <laughs> your audience and then we'll have a more definitive answer. I, appre I, I appreciate have, the I endorsement. But <laughs> I don't have those specific. All right, Denny. Like can, can we leave it? Can we leave it there for today? Well, the point that I was trying to make before you went down all these avenues of defense mm -hmm. is avenues that, of logical queries, but go on. <laughs> is that it's a, I, I don't mind that I don't mind queries, but the point that I'm making <laughs> is that you're making the allegation that I'm taking so much risk, and and from my perspective, I'm not taking the degree of risk that you think I'm taking, okay. because there are things that you can do. Mm -hmm to protect yourself against certain outcomes, knowing what your own health status is. Now, if I had other issues like diabetes and all that kind of stuff, then I would perhaps think differently about myself. Uh -huh. But I don't have those things. Uh -huh. And so, so my decision is based upon me. And I'm saying to you that, for example, vitamin D, that the levels of vitamin D that you have in your body play a significant role in your body's ability to defend itself against this virus specifically. And so you can do things to fortify your body, even, even if you're vaccinated. I'm not talking about a scenario where it's vaccinated versus unvaccinated. This is including if you're vaccinated because you're 
your immune system. I need you, I need you to wrap it up now. You're getting a little bit long-winded. Well past the two minutes. So this can we... reminds me of the days of radio. <laughs> can you this this is radio, but you you've you've been on for a minute now and you're getting a bit long-winded. 20 minutes into the phone call and you need to wrap it up. This is an important conversation that isn't taking place. The HSA knows the important role that vitamin D plays in fighting this, but it's not being talked about. Um, Danny, vitamin D is important to overall health. I will agree with that. But even people with sufficient vitamin D levels can be taken under by COVID. That's not a guarantee. That's not true. You know, so that is true. All right, let's let's leave it there. Twenty minute man. Appreciate the call. That's that's short. (laughs) Oh Lord, I know, Denny. I know. Trust me, of all the people I should know. <laughs> Folks, <laughs> Denny and I go way back. Denny, I'm gonna I'm gonna give out a little bit of personal information about you and I. Denny and I go way back. Um, God, I don't even know how many years. Uh, pre his kids, pre his marriage, Denny and I have been um, good friends for many, many years. We've even slept in the exact same bed. Very few people can say that about me, uh, <laughs> for sure. And so um, nothing, nothing was going on. Let me, let me make sure nothing was going on folks. So don't y'all get any ideas, but we have vacation together. We've slept in the same bed as friends. And um, the longest conversation, this is the point I was going to share the longest conversation I've ever had in my entire life on the phone was with Danny Warren Jr. It was an eight hour plus conversation and the phone finally died. Denny, that's the that's the truth. I don't know if you remember that day, but I remember it. I, yes, I do. I do. <laughs> Have a beautiful day. All right, take care. All right, my dear. Yes, a good old Denny. He can be very long winded, and obviously, I held my own in an eight hour plus phone conversation. But um, what a hot mess, Denny. So Rachel says, Mister Denny's arguing for infection acquired immunity, but unfortunately, people can get COVID over and over again, which is absolutely true. Um, and worse, the second and third time, each time you get it, you roll the dice, relong COVID and serious illness. And it's not like you get it once and you're safe forever, forever more. And this is true. And this is the problem with COVID. Even being vaccinated, you know, you still can get it after vaccination. So COVID is a very different kind of beast, folks. Uh, Mary asked the question, we hear that the vaccine has saved lives, but where's the evidence that had they not taken the vaccine, they would have died? Well, the evidence, Mary, is actually there, believe it or not, because it is there before the introduction of the vaccine. And for people who had, for countries that had a delayed um, deployment of the vaccine, the research has shown that thousands of lives would have been saved had they introduced the vaccine sooner than they did. So that question, ironically enough, the research is available. I'll find it and send it to you if I remember later on. Uh, Let me say this. This I'm going to segue into conversation now. This is how radio works organically, right? We weren't planning on talking about COVID. But now this brings me to a situation that I I do want to address. I'm trying to find my notes on this. So you guys remember the baby that recently got COVID and had to be, um, let me just see if I can find my notes on this case. A lot of times I got to write stuff down, folks, because I never want to get it wrong and this sort of thing. Let me just see. So sometimes I'll even email myself little notes when I'm trying to remember something. 
So remember this child that recently there was a fundraiser that was going on and um, the child was going to be sent to the U.S. and they were looking for money for the air ambulance. Okay. Mm, let's see where that message. I sent it to myself. I'm just trying to remember which email um, I sent it to. <sighs> Sometimes I send it to myself. I can't remember where. All right, but listen, I wanted to talk about this because a couple things that were unusual about this. First of all, um, it's difficult to talk about children in COVID, right? And how the government then becomes responsible for picking up the tab when a child in particular becomes ill. And no one ever wants to ask the very logical questions about how did this happen? How is it possible that a child in the Cayman Islands, a non-Caymanian child, by the way, uh, gets infected with COVID, almost dies and requires, has no insurance coverage. So for me right away, I'm like, wait a minute, this child is here in this country with no insurance coverage. Isn't that what mandatory insurance is all about? And so I started asking questions. Um, I'm trying to find, ugh, I'm trying to find my email here. I started asking questions about how, uh, in fact, this was possible for this child to even, I'm like, she was on her mom's work permit. How did this happen? Well, listen, you guys are going to be very, very shocked to surprise and shocked and surprised to hear that, in fact, what happened was this child was permitted to come in as a visitor and remain in this country for two years. See, this is the slackness in the system that often has me perplexed and confused. So normally, if you're here in a work permit and you want to have a dependent here, right? you need to show certain things. You're making a certain amount of money. You can afford to have the child here because of course, in all likelihood, the child's gonna be in some kind of private daycare system, depending on the age of the child. And um, you know, you've gotta have insurance for the child. You gotta have all these things in place. Yet, evidently in this instance, we created a situation. CBC, I got some questions for you, where a child was allowed to stay in this country and given extensions after extensions after extensions for some two years, right? And had COVID at some point. We don't even know when the child had COVID because this is the other thing that people are not aware of. You know, we get this plea for the child needs help. And listen, I'm all about helping children. I'm like, a child should never have to suffer, especially for bad decisions that adults were making, right? So it was important and imperative that the child got the help that it needed immediately. So yes, we were all about sharing the post, trying to get, raise this money, get the child some help. And so um, the child got COVID, not at the time of the, the need to air ambulance the child. That's not what happened. It appears that the child got COVID before the parents must have home medicated, home treated the child. The child didn't go to the hospital for a COVID infection. And this is the point that I want to make about the situation. The child went to the hospital for long haul COVID, right? 
So we have talked about in this program before what long haul COVID is. So this is after you've gotten over your COVID infection. There are things, and this is one of the things that Denny doesn't address, one of the um, risks that you're taking, not just with the initial COVID infection, which you might survive, you might get over, but there's a whole slew of things that can happen to you as a result of long haul COVID that will make it dehabilitating like you're in, they don't know how long it's going to last. I don't want to say your entire life because they don't know yet. It's still emerging research, but it's everything from short-term memory loss. People have been unable to work. Uh, their lungs never return to full capacity. I mean, there's so many things that come out of long-haul COVID. So apparently, I can't find this email now. I'm looking at my phone because I know it's here somewhere, Jim. Um, anyway, apparently this child had long-haul COVID. And um, as a result of that, she has this condition with the lungs being crystallized, which is one of the things that can happen, happen with long-haul COVID. So the poor child gets the long-haul COVID, and that is what put her in the ICU on this machine. And this crystallization that happens in the lungs, unfortunately, here in the Cayman Islands, uh, we do not have the capacity to treat that particular effect of long-haul COVID. So what we were doing here, had she remained here, undoubtedly she would have died. Because we can't treat, we don't have all of the machinery and technology to treat some of the things that come with the long haul COVID, right? So here's the interesting thing. No health insurance for two years, a child was here, continue to get visitors extensions. Nobody's checking to see, well, if we're gonna allow her to stay here basically as a resident for two years and a visitor's extension, can we ensure that she has insurance coverage? No, that wasn't done. So when the poor baby gets sick now, the parents are like, oh, well, we wanna go to the US. The other question that I found really, really peculiar, they're both, both parents are Jamaican nationals. Why do you want to go to the U.S. for treatment? Jamaica has the capacity at the, I think it was the Bastamante Children's Hospital to treat, they have the machine, the technology there to treat this particular side effect of long haul COVID. So it was weird why the parents were insisting that the child be taken to the U.S., which is a greater expense because who was picking up that tab? not just the air ambulance and, you know, they would have to stay there. They didn't even have visas to get into the U.S. So this was a whole, the backstory here, folks, and the, is there was a whole lot more going on with the situation than the average person recognized. Diplomatically, we can't just be like, oh, this person's going to come to the U.S., let them in, when you have no legal immigration status to be able to be traveling to the U.S. That's not how that works. So when our government got involved, because I think initially she went to, um, Arc, and they were trying to assist her, when the Cayman Islands government got involved, folks, and they were like, hold on a second, you want to go to the U.S., why? And you have no visa. You know, we don't have any diplomatic strings to tell the U.S. or oh, to let you in because you have a sick child. You still need to have the legal requirements that they have in place. You have to meet those to be able to go to the United States of America. And then the expense of hotel, you don't know how long you're going to be there, all this other stuff. Honey child, you guys are from Jamaica. And Jamaica has the treatment. Why aren't you going back home? It is a very peculiar thing. And I don't know why no one has ever really fully questioned this or explained why that was. So we know that eventually the child did go to Jamaica. 
Now, the Cayman Islands government made a substantial contribution because we sent a Cayman Airways jet. I want to say it was the Saab. Um, and this is where my notes right now would be extremely helpful because I wrote all these details down. So I do believe it was a Saab. But we sent, um, was it the Saab or the jet? Oh, Lord, here you know. Mm-mm-mm. This is why when I write stuff down, I got to try and find it. Um, it might've been the jet, you know, hold on. I'm going to ask somebody who would, who would know for sure. So we sent the, hold on. I'm going to find out. I, I think, I think it was actually the jet now that I'm thinking about it. Anyway, it cost us $28,000 to be able to send this. So that's why I'm thinking it was probably the jet because they needed to travel uh, with the child, obviously in a hospital bed. They needed to send, I think we sent two or three nurses plus the parents and the child. So it had to be big enough to accommodate, you know, all of that um, in the plane. And so came, the Cayman Islands government picked up the tab to be able to send the plane with basically four or five people on it to Jamaica so that this child could get the necessary life-saving treatment that it needed. Now, thank God that um, it was life-saving. But again, it, it brings about a lot of questions in my mind about how we were even put in this position where, you know, medical treatments can be extremely expensive. By the way, by going to Jamaica, the child is a Jamaican, the parents are Jamaicans, the treatment was at no cost to them. The Jamaican government now can take care of that and they can pick that up. And again, they wanted to go to the U.S. because of what? Lots of questions, lots of questions. But again, I think that, you know, nobody wants to talk about this because they're like, oh, but Sandy, this is a little baby you're questioning. I, I, I'm like, listen, I understand. I also understand as a mother of a child who was born as a preemie, you would spend a trillion dollars if you had it. Most of us don't have that kind of money, but you would spend anything in the world to try to make sure that your child was healthy and that your child got the best medical care. Sometimes it's not even the best. It's just experimental, but anything, you would do anything in the world to give your child a fighting chance. But in real practical terms, we need to look at the money sense of how these things happen. Insurance coverage is mandatory in the Cayman Islands. Right now, there is a man who is, uh, he got injured on the job before Christmas. His employer had no insurance for him. He broke his arm. He's got all kind of pins and needles and everything on it. During Christmas, Jamaican guy working for a construction company, we were ensuring that um, he was getting his Christmas dinner. We were delivering groceries to him. And, you know, he's still calling. He's still in the Cayman Islands. Uh, saying he needs help. And I said, sir, the last time he called me a couple of weeks ago, I said, we're now in the month of April. What is going on with you and your employer? You're still all these months later on medical leave, right? Because of the severe break in your arm. Your employer has a legal obligation to you. And the fact that they had no insurance for you and they're leaving you at the mercy of kind-hearted people in the community just doesn't even make any sense. So I know you're calling me because you know I'm not going to make you starve and we're going to give you a little bag of groceries and whatever, but you really should be calling your employer or calling a lawyer to sort your employer out.
And these are the situations that people get into. Someone sent me something the other day, another guy from overseas here with mental health issues. And the question was, how did he even, they're like, I'm not trying to be mean. Cause of course everybody's like, well, how can you question healthcare about a child? Or, you know, people think we're trying to be mean child. Uh, we're not trying to be mean. We're just asking questions. The system is burdened by a lot of people. Y'all saw that email list of 3,329 people or whatever getting stipend. Some working for government, some with full-time jobs. You comprehend how the system is burdened and every single individual who decides that, okay, I'm not going to be a burden on the system because I'm going to get off my behind and work because I'm able-bodied and I can do so and, you know, whatever. And every case that comes up, costing the, you know, we just talking about cynical insurance and the increase in costs, millions of dollars, $200 million. Okay. Every situation you need to look at and say, why isn't there coverage for this child? What happened here? There has to be some sort of an evaluation. How was this child even permitted to be in the Cayman Islands for two years? None of it makes any sense. I don't know. I don't have the answers. I'm just here to ask the questions. Because I do think um, that something is wrong. So I was telling you guys about this guy. Um, somebody, I think, posted something about him. And he has some kind of medical issues, mental health issues. Um, he's from Jamaica. And so someone said to me, well, Sandy, how did he even get into Cayman? Like people are asking legit questions here about what it is exactly that we are bringing upon ourselves. So here's one. I think everything three, four, five actually posted this and said that, um, can you share this? Um, the man uh, can reach out to him. He's a Jamaican living in Cayman, mentally unstable and homeless. And so someone said, how did he get here in the first place? Definitely lied to immigration. I don't know. I don't know his, his story. I don't know his situation. I don't know how he got here. But what I would say, folks, is just over the weekend, I was watching a very, very interesting, and we posted on the CMR Facebook page, an interesting video about homelessness in Jamaica. And they're talking about their homelessness issue. And a lot of the people who are homeless, unfortunately, are suffering from either drug addictions or mental health issues. And, you know, it's a bit of a, a concern for them there, obviously. And they were talking about how it's, it's dangerous for the homeless. Some of them are getting sexually assaulted. They're being assaulted otherwise. Um, back in 2021, I think it was January 2021, four homeless people were like stabbed to death and killed on the streets of Kingston. They're sleeping on the steps of the Supreme Court. I mean, it's, it's not a good look. In the Cayman Islands, we have homelessness as well. Not as prevalent as that. But if we don't start con to control some of the factors that put people in that predicament, it's going to be, give it 10, 20, 25 years, it's going to be the exact same thing where they're going to be sleeping in the house steps of parliament. Now, because of the way the Cayman Islands operates, right? Half of our population is imported labor. So we bring people into this country. The argument is we need them. If we need them, we need them. All right. But we're also importing poverty. We're importing mental health issues, people with severe mental health issues. Just look at Lavelle, for example. She's not a Caymanian. But yet she's twerking all over Georgetown and West Bay Road, uh, really giving us a bit of a bad look because she acquired status during the 2003 status grants. 
I'm just saying we're importing a lot of a lot of foolishness. Uh, we're importing criminals, right? Some of y'all going out there marrying hardcore criminals, giving them the right to be a Caymanian, giving them status. Then when they rob and kill and do all this other stuff, oh, I've got a right to family life and you can't get rid of them. I'm just asking the questions, folks, because honestly, a lot of it makes absolutely no sense. I'm just curious, how did this child get here and stay here for two years? Had COVID, and we know a lot of people are self-medicating with COVID. Oh, I'll just have some fever grass tea and I'll be okay. Um, The fact that the child ended up with long-haul COVID probably meant that she was probably quite sick and was never really taken to the doctor for it, which I don't know how that poor baby suffered, right? And this crystallized lung thing that I'm telling you about in terms of long-haul COVID um, and the long-haul lungs is a really, really serious situation. And it will kill you because apparently what happens is your body is not able to break up because of the way that the mucus or whatever in the lungs is now crystallized. Um, You're not able to break that up. And you're finding, according to the experts, because again, that's who I'm relying on, a lot of people um, are suffering from the impacts of long-haul COVID, and it's impacting multiple organs, and they're having um, organ failure later on. From what the researchers have seen, COVID is so peculiar because it is attacking the COVID disease. It is attacking every major organ in your body when you get it. So your best line of defense is to try to never get it. And if if vaccines help, if mask wearing helps, social distancing, those are the things that you do. Instead of trying to play doctor yourself, you do what has been proven, research after research after research, to keep you safe from even getting COVID if you can help it. Because you might get it and you might recover but then you're gonna have nervous system issues. So there's lots of neurological manifestations of a COVID infection that will be lasting for years. They're saying that people who've had COVID are living in a confused state. They can't organize their thoughts or understand what's happening to them. They're having cognitive impairment and the doctors are still trying to understand exactly how this is happening. Strokes. Did y'all see the research that came out? I think it was last week that said um, COVID-19. And again, Denny says, you know, your natural immunity is the best thing. Well, when you, unlike the vaccine, there is an actual link to COVID-19 and an increased chances chance of you getting strokes and heart problems. These are facts. It affects the arteries, causing paralysis, speech dif- difficulties, difficulties walking, the veins in the brain, brain swelling, headaches, difficulty doing daily activities, right? And this isn't about, oh yeah, I caught COVID and I've survived. This is what happens after you survive. So people will recover from COVID-19 and they will still continue to have respiratory issues, shortness of breath, uh, chest pain, coughing, And symptoms have been shown to last weeks or months, and they're not quite sure really exactly how long. You can get pneumonia in the lungs. 
uh, develop blood clots. If you have asthma and you get COVID, obviously that's going to be a problem. So there's a long list of research and information here, folks, as it relates to not just, you know, getting COVID and getting over it, but the long-term impact of having such a diagnosis. COVID is serious. And it's unfortunate that, you know, people are not understanding or educating themselves on the long-term effects of COVID. But this little three-year-old child is but one example. There are probably others out there that we don't even know anything about. The research is ongoing, but it's really, really serious. So I was curious. Um, quite honestly, there's a new research that came out last month about damage to lungs linked to long-haul COVID and breathing problems. So this is an Iowa study from the University of Iowa. They have a post-COVID clinic. And just like there was a lot of research going into trying to get a vaccine to market, or multiple vaccines to market as quickly as possible, the research continues. People are living, when I say people, I mean the medical and scientific community, the experts are living COVID every single day. They're doing all of the research. Damage to the small airwaves in the lungs after COVID lasting is now a long lasting effect. There's a lot of research. Disease detected in 40% of long haul patients. So they're doing these CT scans and seeing exactly, um, you know, what this infection is doing to your lungs, your brains, your heart, your stroke rate, everything. All right. Let me talk a little bit more to wrap up the conversation that we were having yesterday. Rachel, thank you for the comment. Um, she says that there's growing evidence that even mild infections can cause long-term damage to the lining of blood vessels throughout the body. This can cause multiple long-term problems, cardiovascular, neurological, trigger diabetes, and much more. It is reckless and risky to think that getting the virus rather than the vaccine is the best way to educate your immune system. And that's a direct response to Denny's position of, oh, just get the vaccine. Um, the ugly truth says, God knows I like Denny, but he suffers from the know-it-all unqualified expert mentality. Some people took the vaccine. It probably saved them. Some didn't take it and either survived or died. And we know that there are people who wouldn't take it and who were out there taking, um, ox what was the alternative thing that has been proven not to work? And they were getting a prescription for that and taking that instead. And now they're dead. These are, these are facts. That, that's not an anecdotal story. Those are actual facts. Two of the people who I know had a prescription, now I can't tell you that they were actually taking it, but mm, knowing them, they had the prescription, they probably were taking it, um, end up dying from COVID when it was probably survivable had they been vaccinated. So Mary says, do a survey in vitamin D deficiency. Honestly, I think everyone I've spoken to has said that they're deficient. What survey? The labs in the Cayman Islands, this is very, very easy, test people all the time. They can certainly release information on the levels of vitamin D deficiency in this community. I can't say what they are. If I say everybody I talk to has it, yeah, I talk to like five people in a day. That's not everybody. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? That's not a good indication whatsoever of um, vitamin D deficiency. Now, do I believe that there might be a 10, 15% portion of the population that has a vitamin D deficiency? I don't know how bad it is. I don't know what kind of survey you could take 
that you would want to rely upon because honestly, you should be getting the information from the actual establishments uh, like the lab laboratories, as English people would say, in the US we say laboratories, that are actually conducting the tests. That's how you get it. There's no survey that you can be just be, oh, I'm surveying my friends. That's not a scientific survey. And that's why I, again, I believe in, in studies. <laughs> I let the experts do their double blind tests because there's no possibility of, oh yeah, anecdotal evidence. Oh, my friend said this, so this must be it. That's not how it works. Al Ray says, bring the HSA experts on versus Denny. No child, if we're gonna bring some experts on, we're gonna bring infectious disease experts who every single day of their lives have lived with COVID, dealing with thousands of COVID patients because the Cayman COVID story has been very, very minimal. Let's be honest here, right? We're no experts in COVID. So not trying to put down the HSA staff, but if we want somebody to go up against Denny, which by the way, when we had our experts on, Denny I think called in once or twice and the experts addressed Denny and he was kind of quiet then because you know these experts kind of know what they're talking about. So, you know, they're gonna put Denny in his place when it's required. Now he sounds good, but you gotta be able to really pick it apart. Sounding good don't mean that you know what you're talking about, Denny, I'm just saying. Um, so vitamin D levels. Yes. And you know what is so funny? A lot of people of color actually have vitamin D deficiencies because you're not spending any time in the sun. Go out in the sun for 20 minutes a day, half an hour a day, and you won't have a vitamin D issue. Believe me. Good morning, Everton. How are you? He says it's very hard to convince people who do not believe in the vaccine that it's the right thing. And they're, they're doing by taking the vaccine. Like I said, over and over again, I took my three doses and I will and I will be head in between today and tomorrow to take my second dose if that's the way that it's going to go down. Blazing. <laughs> mm -mm. So Jamila said, but if the mother and father are working, why don't they just add the child to the work permit? I'm sure they're not making enough. Remember, there's a certain financial requirement of I think it's $3,500 that you have to be making per month to add a child to a work permit. If you're a domestic worker, it is highly unlikely that you're making $3,500. But you shouldn't be able to circumvent the system by keeping the child here for two years, regardless of the fact that they're not on your work permit because you see exactly what happens. That poor child had no insurance coverage. That's not fair to the child. Ugly Truth says that's how Cayman works. Come and see who was behind the scenes pulling strings to allow the child to remain here. Uh, Nat B says, I hope the PAC government will reinstate the return ticket requirement for permit holders. As we've seen, 90% of employers have no means to repatriate employees in a crisis, and uh, we have an annual hurricane season. It is unfortunate. Um, I don't know, uh, you know, maybe this is a question for France Madison, because a lot of this would have happened when he was chief immigration officer for sure. But I don't know how effective the pooling now, because you pay a flat fee of, I think it's $200 per work permit that goes into pool and in the, the absolute necessity that money or the government has to repatriate someone, that funding is used. But I think they use that to send the Cubans back, which is like probably a few people every year, right? So I don't know how much money's in that little bank account um, to really send people back in any event. 
So in this case, because it was a medical emergency and the child required certain people to be able to travel with her to maintain her, you know, she had to be stable in order to go to Jamaica for treatment, they had to send the jet. I'm pretty sure it was the jet, not the sob, um, as I'm recalling. So Natasha, thank you, Maria, joining us from Barbados. Natasha says, isn't this why many of the permit holders, even when they lose their permits, refuse to leave? Yeah, that's a whole other question. We got a caller joining us. Good morning, caller, and welcome to the program. Morning. Um, but with the little child, because you saying that she she was here for two years, but mm. on the Cayman Compass article, it's saying that they move here in September. Huh? So something not adding up. Uh-huh. It says she and her husband Omar moved to the island in September from Jamaica. But complications with the insurance meant their daughter was not covered. Which mm. complications? From you come and you and you got temporary, and after that you got to get health insurance. Mm-hmm. Well, listen, my sources on this story was very, very good. So I don't read the compass. To be fair to them, so I don't know what they said. But what I'm telling you is that child had been here for years, being allowed to stay and stay and stay. We can we can try to FOI it. C- CBC mightn't tell us specifically. Of course, they're going to say that's personal information. But y'all know my got my sources, Jill. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I mean, I don't I don't understand why the child didn't have insurance. Um, because, but, no, it, because, but again, right, the child that, can't be the, added to their the, work permit. If the mother and father is married, they, they could add her to the work permit. So it looking like her. Well, and the, if they're the combined, is not married. Wait, wait, wait a second. Hold on now. Let me try and remember how immigration works. Help me out here, immigration folks. I know some of y'all are listening. It is an individual work permit that you're added to, not a joint work permit. So it's the individual salary of $3,500 per individual. So I don't think it's a matter of combining the spouse's salary. One parent has to be making that. No, no, I think it can be combined. Uh-uh. I just want to find out for you. All right, we will find out. Uh-huh. Um, yes, we find out here now. I know immigration people listen, Chell. Uh, let me see. I'm going to message some people who I know are pretty well versed in this. Um, they'll be able to tell me, but I'm sure that you add on a singular work permit. You can't split a child between two work permits. So it's $3,500 per, like whoever you're adding the dependent to. So if the mother wants to claim the dependent, uh, the child and her work permit, she has to be mm-hmm. making the $3,500. It's not like. But but then I, I, but then you see the other day when you did the post about with the, with the, with the child and what the parent now come back to look for the child. Because I know someone that was here, they wasn't married and mm-hmm. then they got married so that they could add the child to the work permit. And I know that they not, one of them not making $3,000 a month. So mm-hmm. we'll soon get some clarity on it. Um, Pretty Tasha's each parent has to be earning $3,500. It's $500 per child to add a child to a work permit. So I'm, I'm pretty sure it's, it's per, um, it's per permit. Okay. Mm-hmm. But we'll we'll double check that for sure. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, but you know, 
Yeah. Magdalene wants to know who at CBC is going to go home because of this. Nobody, child. (laughs) Nobody's ever held accountable. Thank you so much for the call. Okay. So I don't know. I mean, these are the things that slip through the cracks. And um, so Rachel said, LOL, experts versus non-experts shouldn't get equal prominence. We don't let the passengers all have to go at flying, have a go at flying the plane because they did some research and think Boeing is lying to us. Well, that's for sure. Good morning to Miss Iva. How are those mango trees coming along? Welcome back home. Miss Iva was overseas having some surgery. Um, Marshall says the parents of that three-year-old child should come back and pay the money the government paid to assist them. She was not the government's responsibility. Oh, thank you, Elray. Ivermectin. That was a crazy drug I was trying to remember. So listen, Marshall, I'm not advocating that because I'm sure these poor people are in no position to repay anything. I'm just saying that this situation occurred. It looks like some very interesting uh, facts led up to it happening. And so we should now be ensuring that this doesn't happen again. If insurance is mandatory in this island, there's a reason why it is mandatory. Right? And employers who are not paying insurance, pension is, is horrible and pension is bad enough, but insurance is, can be life or death. So employers who are not paying the insurance for their workers, I think, need to be treated very, very differently when they breach that particular um, provision. And there needs to be greater checks and balances in place to ensure that people are compliant. And there should be no excuses why there is a long period of time elapsed, because even short lapses in coverage can mean that someone, um, you know, someone's life is impacted. So there you have it. Um, hmm. All right, folks, uh, just as FYI to our online listeners, the program has to end exactly at 930 today because I've got court. I'm going to be joining by Zoom. I'm hoping that hopefully soon I'll be in a position to tell you guys an update on this. So this is the John Felder matter. What I can say for now is his lawyers, despite having a judgment that is not in their favor, are essentially refusing to give up. So Justice McMillan, we're having here in this morning, my good lawyers over there at uh, Broadhurst are going to be making some salient arguments. They actually had to pull a justice, a judge out of retirement because of this guy. Woo. Y'all stay tuned. When I can tell you more about it, I'm going to give you all the salacious, truthful details of today's hearing and where we are. Mm-mm-mm. What a mess. I tell you. Uh, there's absolutely no making this stuff up. So parents, we were talking about bullying yesterday. I want to read an email. Um, Let me see here. So um, I want to talk about a message that we received. Uh, from a parent, right? So she has been struggling with her children or child being attacked at John Gray High School. And she shared the following response. She said, I'm really appalled by the way that the school responded to WhatsApp messages, calls, and emails that I've sent before and after the incident at the school. Now, this is the incident where a student, a former student, now an adult, 
went on campus. Remember this a couple of weeks ago because the kids thought he had stabbed somebody. So he went on campus um, to essentially attack a kid because his sister and the other kid's sister having some back and forth and whatever. So the parent says, I've been to the school, contact to the principal in the matter, and it has fallen on deaf ears. Before the incident got so serious, I felt that their only concern was about having bad press, not wanting it to get to Kiman Ma Road, which I heard a member of staff saying to the student. Mm -hmm. I was told meetings with parents, the campus police, and students would happen, and it never did. If it has taken place, maybe the situation, if it had taken place, maybe the situation wouldn't have gotten so blown up. After the incident happened, it was only one teacher who was ahead of year that reached out to find out how my kids were doing. The principal nor the deputy principal called, messaged, or even emailed to find out how the kids were doing, nor to give any updates about the incident. After sending an email to a couple of people in the education department, Ms. Cacho acknowledged my email, apologized, and said they would look into it. Days on days, I would email the school and include those from education department and received no response. Hmm. With the seriousness of the incident of people illegally coming on the compound, approaching a minor that he sent threats to and the school knew about, and entering the main office, trying to hit down the principal door, the principal's door, to get after the individual, you would think the communication would have been a lot better, but it wasn't. I have requested a meeting with senior staff at the school so that they can answer the many questions that I've asked, but yet, once again, haven't gotten back an acknowledgement response, not even an acknowledgement response. I would like to also discuss with them how they will be dealing with bullying and cyberbullying going forward because my heart goes out to students that aren't as strong and can't handle bullying. Too many kids are being bullied and it impacts their mental, uh, impacts them mentally and I want to see change in our schools. Also, the students do not take the campus police serious and she lacks respect for the parents and students. I must say that the security guard, Mr. Murray goes over and beyond to protect the students and he's well respected by the students and they need more security like him or have him train the security at the school. The communication within the school is so terrible. They need adequate staffing. Mm -mm -mm. Wow. She said, I was told by Ms. Forbes, the deputy principal, when I went to the school, that since my kids incident, the school will be doing a video, this is their response, or something alongside some bullying campaign. The Minister of Education was also copied on all my emails and nothing. It wasn't until my lawyer sent them a letter that I was contacted by Mr. Ray. So lots of um, allegations of poor communication from school administrators, people in the ministry, and even the Department of Education. Poor kids. So, you know, the young lady I was talking to you guys about yesterday, little Gabby, who's sending people messages about slitting their throats. Um, so little Gabby now uh, continues to reach out to this young lady about, oh, how, you know, they heard that it was on Facebook or Ma Road or something, and uh, we need to talk. I mean, a 13-year-old, parents, what are y'all doing? You think that my, if I had a 13-year-old, could be messaging someone talking about, oh, we need to talk and I need to know why you're sharing this with people. 
I was like, what? Parents, get a hold of your children because your children are going down an extremely dangerous path. The level of, of just lack of control of your parent of your children is, is astonishing. Let me give you an example, though, of how differently people handle their children, right? So, you know, Caymanian parents are always like, oh, yeah, I believe in corporal punishment, and I'm going to bust their ass, and I'm going to do this, and I'm going to do that. Well, y'all not doing jack that really works. Apparently, busting their ass is not working. Because I told you, violence begets violence. I want to give you two examples of a different approach, right? So sometimes kids will message me and they like to get, they, they, they be feeling themselves. And they like to get a little bit out of order. Now, if y'all know one thing about me, I'm not really that person, right? If you're 15 and 16 and you come at me, I'm going to treat you like the adult that you're pretending to be. And I will put you in your place accordingly. So I've had a couple of situations. There's one particular individual. She's a VP of a big corporation um, in the Cayman Islands, you know, originally from another country. Let's just say that. So one morning, three o'clock in the morning, only God knows what I was doing up at three o'clock, but I see her son messaging me in relation to a story that I put up and he didn't like and, oh, my friends and this and that. And because I recognize the last name, I don't, I didn't know the child, but because I recognize the last name, I said, oh, I can find her. She's works in a big company. I can find her email address. I sent her an email at 3.30 in the morning. I said, Madam so-and-so, why is your son messaging me at 3.30 in the morning involving himself in a very adult conversation, a very adult matter, defending the bad behavior of adults? And I'm pretty sure this does not concern him in any way, shape, or form. You know what that parent's response was? And this is not someone that I'd ever really had a meaningful conversation with before. She replied back and said, thank you for the email. You will not be hearing from him again. And sure enough, that was years ago. And I've not heard from him since. She reined that in very, very quickly. And I'm sure she didn't go beat up her son. No hands were probably laid on him. But I'm sure she had a very firm conversation, probably her and her husband, about why are you messaging Mall Road trying to play like you're an adult? Because if you want to play that game, we can treat you like one. There was another example of a kid. And of course, um, he was really rude. He went overboard with his comments. And so, you know, we posted him on, on Instagram since they all were looking for clout. I can give you some clout, but it's not going to be the kind of clout you want. And so the father reached out. Oh, um, his initial attitude. Well, I'm going to call my lawyer on you. You need to take that post down. I said, honey, child. Mm-mm-mm. Whoever told you that I was afraid of lawyers? I said, do you live in the Cayman Islands? Are you aware of what's going on here? I'm going to lawyer up. I'm going to have my lawyer. I said, waste your money on a lawyer. You do that. What you, this is exactly what I told my email. I said, but what you'd be better, you know, resources, instead of wasting your money on a lawyer, write me a letter that I'm not going to care anything about, is you'd be better off having a conversation with your child about why they're sending messages to me insulting my husband about his private parts. I'm like, that's the conversation that you need to be having here. So he must have had to think about what I said. And after it went up, people said, oh, you know, the child, the parents are divorcing and the father can't control the child. I said, that's none of my concern. So afterwards he came back and he said, I'm sorry. I went through my son's messages and I saw what he'd been up to. And you're right. His, his things are out of, you know, out of hand and da, da, da. Then I took it down after you come back talking to me with a little bit of sense. Talk to your children. 
I'm sharing these stories to tell you that this young lady, Gabby, apparently the response from her has been highly inappropriate. She continues to harass people, claiming that her father can do this, that, and the next thing. Really? Your father should be dealing with you, young lady. Your father should have confiscated your phone and your ability to communicate with anyone. You should be on lockdown, no phone privileges, no chat, Snapchat, no Instagram, nothing. He should be deleting every single social media account that you have. When I say that parents are the problem, you guys are creating the problem, you're exasperating the problem, and you're not going to be part of the solution if you allow your children to railroad you. So now somehow this little girl has convinced her dad who got less sense than her, because she's only 13 years old, so I'm not expecting a lot out of her, that somehow the family, the real victim, has doctored that message of her with her bad English. Like you and doctor something and talk like that. Come on now. And that she didn't, it's been photoshopped and they're trying to frame her. Oh yes, father. We're in the business of framing a 13 year old child. Y'all are beyond stupid when you believe foolishness like this. Rein your child in for heaven's sake. Folks, less than a minute left in the program. It's Easter weekend. Please be safe. I'm going to try to visit a couple of your campsites. Y'all know who you are because you got the good food. And I'm going to be saying hello to everybody. Um, <laughs> Jerrion said, I wish that Gabby was my daughter. Mm -mm -mm. Please be safe this weekend. No drinking and driving. No fentanyl. No drugs. Just take it easy. Enjoy the good company of the campsites. If you see me coming to your campsite, that means you got some good food. Just give me a plate of food. Okay, don't ask any questions. Just say, Sandy, sit down and enjoy some good food. All seriousness, uh, please be safe. I know a lot of you are traveling over the weekend as well. Wear your mask, uh, folks, when you go out, especially with a lot of crowds in the U.S. Be as safe as possible. And you guys have a fantabulous Easter weekend. And we will catch you next week, Tuesday. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of The Cold Hard Truth on Bobo 89.1 FM. Cayman's number one talk show is live weekdays from 7.30 a.m. Never miss an episode again. Watch anytime on CMR's Facebook and YouTube channels for the latest show episodes. Don't forget to follow us online on our social media channels and visit CaymanMarlRoad.com for all the latest news and community happenings. 